Hi, welcome to No Small Talk, the Arkansas Times Arts and Entertainment Podcast. It's me, Jacob Rosenberg. I'm here as always with uh, Amaya Jones and Stephanie Smittle, and we're going to break down Arkansas arts and news and culture. And also, first, I need to offer a sincere apology because last week we were supposed to record, but Amaya was out of town. And Stephanie and I, we're going to have a solo episode. You know, a wonderful episode of Stephanie and I talking about uh, the Spring Arts Preview issue, which came out last week. Bare bones episode. A a small but important episode. And instead, I sat in this room for approximately 45 minutes. I think you believe, I think you said, like, angrily grunting because I couldn't figure out the technology for the podcasting. I thought I had figured it out, and I yelled about how successful I had been. And then I kind of brought Stephanie in to start recording, and then it was still messing up. And so now Amaya's back, and everything's working perfectly fine. So that's what happened last week. <laughs> Any comments you want to, like, row to my face, Amaya? Or, uh, did, did, was Lindsay not here to help you set it up? Lindsay was here, but he was doing this thing uh, that we call actual work. And uh, so I couldn't, you know, I couldn't be helped at this time period because Lindsay was writing and he was trying to close the issue and all this stuff and so I didn't want to bother anyone. The lesson here is appreciate all the tech savvy people in your life and make them uh, brownies and cookies. Yeah, exactly. So brownies and cookies for Amaya soon. But this week we're going to have an extra jam-packed special episode because uh, we missed out on last week. Uh, What we're going to do this week is first up we're going to have an interview with um, where's the name? Katie, Katie Hendrickson. Katie Hendrickson, I'm sorry. Uh, um, of, of note, she's came down from up in Fayetteville, and she'll be on this week's episode. Uh, then we're going to go and do that Spring Arts preview that we missed, and then just a little tiny bit of Oscar catch-up um, before we close things out. But first, as always, let's talk about what uh, the Arkansas Times is doing. And for the last time, you won't be bothered by us anymore, but you should really come out tomorrow to the Musician Showcase. Stephanie, what's happening tomorrow at Rev Room? At the Rev Room, 8 p.m., it all goes down. It's the final face off. <laughs> uh, so over the course of four semifinal rounds, our judges have narrowed, uh, six, uh, let's see, 17 bands down to a group of five finalists. And those will play uh, and battle it out for a big prize package and the 2018 title. Um, we drew today, if you haven't gone on and liked the Arkansas Times Facebook page, you probably should. Yeah. Not the least of which is Degenerate if you so. haven't. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, go find the Facebook Live video from 2pm today when we did a live drawing. We drew names of bands out of a giant purple sombrero in order to determine the order in which the bands will perform tomorrow night. That order will be at 8pm Couch Jackets, Just After Them, Sabine Valley, Third, Jamie Lou and the Hullabaloo. Fourth, The Rios. And last, Recognizer. After that, we'll tally up all the scores and we'll crown a champion. All right, get excited. So that's tomorrow, but first, right now, do you want to throw to the interview? Yeah, let's talk with Katie Hendrickson. She hosts a show called Of Note on the NPR affiliate in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, that's KUAF. You can live stream it. She also has a uh, salon, concert salon series called Trillium. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Welcome back to No Small Talk, the arts and entertainment podcast for the Arkansas Times. We are thrilled today to have Katie Henriksen joining us from Fayetteville. She has a show called Of Note on KUAF, which is the NPR affiliate in Northwest Arkansas, and also uh, a salon concert series called Trillium. And so we're just gonna ask her about that. 
Welcome, Katie. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here. And if you would um, just let us know a little bit about uh, what the focus uh, is of, of Note, how long you've been doing it. I've been doing of Note for about a little over six years, maybe about six and a half now. And it's a classical music show that is pretty much by design. So when you, when you talk about classical music, I don't know, people have perceptions of what it is and then there's classical music with the classical C period, broke time period. Well, I like to represent the diversity of classical music that's available from early music to things going on right now. I sometimes I play Bjork on my program. So I like to represent the diversity of classical music and what it has to offer and show people that classical music is for everyone. It's not like a, like this cloistered art form that's only for a chosen few, but everyone gets enjoyment out of classical music. I also have the opportunity to not only program this music, I bring in interviews. So anyone who's making classical music happen and possible and have conversations about about the compositional process, about why this Ravel piece is so engaging. Maybe it's your earliest musical memory with it. So it's it's a way to really engage with listeners about the music. It's it's really about exploring how music connects us all together, and it's my opportunity to showcase that and highlight it and make music available to everyone. And it really is my baby. So I really, I'm a one person show. I do I pick out all the music myself. I choose all the interviews. I edit it all myself. Uh, every aspect is all me and, and, and it's really rewarding. We've been very thrilled to have some of your interviews in the Arkansas Times, one with Philip Mann that was really fun. He talked about sort of the very early roots of his interest in music and then also one with uh, Bonnie Montgomery. Those are two that spring to mind about, um, so it was in the Women in Music issue or the music issue, which we turned into the women in yes, music issue. which I'm excited about. I was so happy to contribute to that issue. I actually have, a, uh, going back to my grad school, actually undergrad days, gender and music was just a specialty of mine. I, I did a thesis project that had to do with the way men rock critics wrote about women musicians mm -hmm. and how that changes our perception of how we see women musicians because of the way men were writing about women. So I was so excited when you asked me to be a part of that and then I got to talk to Bonnie Montgomery who has her foot in the classical music world and traditional popular music world as well and I, I love talking about those two different worlds and that's maybe also going back to my program something I do it's like classical music is put off into a, a box but it really isn't and there's a lot of things happening right now where like Richard Reed Perry who's a bassist for Arcade Fire is a classical composer who has an album on Deutsche Grammophone so that's all happening and I like to kind of weave all those worlds together. It it is sort of the task of like the modern classical uh, lowercase classical musician to be a little obsessed with that right because um, in terms of like the way funding works and the way grants works it's tough to um, it's tough to keep growing an audience and keep communicating that classical music can be revolutionary and immediate and really visceral and um, and fiery and and relevant if you grow up with the idea and you've only ever seen it in the concert hall and everybody in the concert hall was over 50, right? So and some people have never even been to the concert hall and that's another thing uh, that I try to, I was born into a classical music family. 
I, I, I grew up thinking that playing chopsticks on a harpsichord was totally a normal thing. Did not realize that a harpsichord is not something that everyone has access to, I guess. And, and, and so, and it was really rewarding for me to grow up hearing this classical music and being steeped in it. So that's part of my mission is to show people that this is a rewarding experience for everyone and it helps us go through life and experience the human condi condition. And, and then classical music is really, I think, opening up as well. I feel like in order for it to continue to sustain itself and have a newer audience, that it's it's learning, it's, it's coming outside of maybe there is this canon, but we're opening up that canon and expanding on it, and we're bringing classical music into the 21st century. Are there, I'm going to put you on the spot, are there a couple of pieces that you, either you've played on your show or that you've just enjoyed that you think are representative of um, classical music for people who don't like classical or who have never been to the concert hall or who have an idea of it being cloistered? Well, there's, there's, I, I would, I don't know about pieces. I would go, so for example, I play from this a lot, Max Richter, he's a British composer and he does film scores too, and he recomposed Vivaldi's Four Seasons. So thank God, <laughs> with all these four seasons, it's like it's but it's like it's like the most canned classical music you've ever heard. I mean, right. like anytime you hear like elevator classical music, it's like the four seasons, you know. Greatest hits. And he and he's yeah. he's recomposed it, and it's vibrant. He uses a Moog synthesizer. He's got all these electronic elements going. So he really, I, I play from him that specific project a lot, and it opens up people's eyes. Um, he also does a lot of film score stuff, so it's like, you know, there's like The Leftovers or um, I'm trying to think of another film. He, he does film score music and people engage with it and they love the music, but they don't think of it as being classical music. And I'm like, that's part of the world. And then there's, there's like ensembles doing a lot of work. Like I would go to Brooklyn Rider. They're a string quartet, obviously in Brooklyn. They all went to the Curtis Institute together. And one of the violinists actually plays uh, with Silk Road Ensemble, Yo-Yo Ma's project. But they're really into living composers. They like their newest album, they commissioned all living composers to do new works. And they're really expanding on this idea of what classical music can be and what it represents. Fantastic. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. I was just thinking of some other like film adjacent composers like Corn Gold, for example. Yeah. Or or Johnny Greenwood. He does yeah. stuff too. I mean it's there's all sorts of crossover happening right now. Right. Like or 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 is it Bernard Herman that did all the stuff for the Hitchcock yes. films? Yes. Which would be so differently contextualized when you hear it in like Psycho or when you hear it in North by Northwest versus if you heard that stuff in the concert hall. But no less thrilling, either and way. Then, and, and he also compo he composed for a lot of those composers of that time period, they composed for film because that's what paid the bills, but then they would compose straight up classical pieces that weren't tied to a film because they loved doing that as well. So like Miklas Rosa is an, mm -hmm. another composer mm -hmm. like that too. So to the end of getting people out of their comfort zones with uh, symphonic music or orchestral music, which is a, a, two of the trick terms that people use to try to get you to stop thinking of it as classical, because that word can kind of be a barrier sometimes. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about your Trillium Salon series and what your goal is with that? Yeah, so Trillium started about a year and a half ago and actually began when a, a, someone who listened to my show queried me. And there was this project called Group Muse that was doing house concerts for classical music. And, and then they had chapters in LA and New York and maybe a couple other places. And he was asking me if I'd be interested in starting something like that in Northwest Arkansas. And I just loved the idea. We looked at the model that Group Muse had and it didn't really fit to work under them in Northwest Arkansas because it was a big city thing. It's like they connected the dots mm-hmm. to the musicians, venues, all the different things that needed to go on. And that, that network was not even viable in Northwest Arkansas. So we kind of went on our own after that. And what it is, it's redefining the classical concert experience, taking it outside the concert hall into intimate and unusual settings and redefining the relationship between performer and audience. So it's not a static, you sit down, the, the audience is consuming this concert and then they clap. It's an interaction the whole time. And it's about connecting with the community through love of music. We've also added an element where we have food and drinks. So local beer from Apple Blossom Brewery donated. We have a friend of mine who makes chocolates, handmade chocolates and she would donate chocolates and we all connect and the first one was actually in my living room which is really tiny and it it was just amazing because all these people who didn't they never go to classical concerts they don't even think about going to classical concerts but they showed up and they're like this was amazing and we all talked afterward and and another thing is is that the performers will while they're doing the performance they talk to the audience so like we had we had one in the lobby of KUAF where I work, and it's a small lobby. It was a it was a um, marimba concert. So there's a big marimba in there, and he's someone I went to high school with, actually, and it happened to be our 20th reunion, high school reunion. So there were all these people that had come to town for that, nice. and we all filled up this the lobby of KUF, and he was playing this music, and he's like, and someone would be like, so tell me about what makes a marimba melody, the marimba mallet, and it was just like a back and forth. We had a conversation during the performance, so it wasn't just a static, here's the performance, we're gonna listen and consume it, and then we're gonna all go home and go our separate ways. It's like an interactive experience, and 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 the idea was really to get people to engage that way with the music and to have a new understanding of what live classical music could be. It occurs to me as you're talking that maybe part of this barrier of the way that we Um, pigeonhole classical music has less to do with the music and more to do with the etiquette surrounding the music and what we do with our bodies and how we behave and interact with each other in performance situations and what's considered okay and not okay. It's absolutely, you're you're right. I mean, and there's been like articles written about that very phenomenon of, of, because, you know, and I grew up in the classical music family, so I knew all the rules. So it's like, okay, you don't clap until the whole piece is over. And all these people who've never been to a concert, they hear they hear a pause, and it's like a movement's over, but they don't realize they're supposed to stay quiet. They're like, that was sure. really good, and they start clapping, that kind of thing. Um, so that is definitely part of it, and it, it really, I don't really know what, I'm trying to remember what, I, I'm trying to remember where my thought was going with that part. But um, yeah, it's it's totally, you're totally accurate on I'll check on out that. the scholarship, yeah. 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 And... 
plug. Where can we find out more about the Trillium Salon series? I am so excited. I just built a website for Trillium my, all by myself. I've never built a website before. So you can go to TrilliumSalonSeries.com. And Trillium is the native Ozark wildflower. And it's spelled T-R-I-L-L-I-U-M. TrilliumSalonSeries.com. Perfect. Arkansas Roots. Thank you so much, Katie Henriksen, for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. And look for Katie's byline in the Arkansas Times. Hopefully, um, you'll be seeing that soon. And if you can, I believe there's there's a way, even if you're in the central Arkansas area, to live stream uh, KUAF. The show is called Of Note with Katie Henriksen, and you can find it on the N, uh, NPR affiliate in Northwest Arkansas, KUAF. Yeah, right? KUAF.com. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, welcome back. That was a great interview, but now we have to catch up on what we missed out uh, on, which is the Spring Arts Preview. If you haven't picked up um, that wonderful issue of the Arkansas Times that is the Spring Arts Preview, I highly recommend it, and not least of all because you have a wonderful, wonderful interview with Beth Ditto who performed last night. I'm kind of glad that we actually got to delay this because now we get to talk about Beth Ditto last night. I didn't get to go, but it sounded incredible. And I, I love that you were talking about in the blog post that she's potentially this Dolly Parton figure. I, I just, when did that come to you? Was there one part of the show that made you think, okay, this person is sort of known for gossip and a different style of music, but potentially she could transform into this country figure that sort of mixes things together? Sure, sure. And it wasn't so much the sound, although there definitely are some country elements to her sound, but just the way um, her stage persona is such a natural extension of who she is as a person and that just really came through on stage. I don't think there was a single person in the room who didn't feel like they were being invited to that performance. Um, And so in the same way that uh, Dolly Parton sort of has this polished but very guileless uh, stage persona that really gives you permission to just sort of buy in and enjoy it. That's what the whole show felt like. It didn't hurt that there was a velvet rope with most of like White County, anybody who was related to Beth Ditto behind it, shouting and cheering. She at one point passed the microphone to her brother um, and he just tore it up. It was a great show. I really, I really loved her with gossip but what was really thrilling last night was seeing the ways in which her being this solo artist now has given her this total permission to bring out all these natural elements of a performer that she just has in spades also she was wearing a fantastic <laughs> dress with you know hundreds and thousands of rainbow sequins on it it's really really a great show um, I feel like anybody who was there would concur so anything that surprised you or stood out to you about the interview that y'all did? Um, you know, the one thing that I, I think might be a surprise, uh, was a surprise to me before I, I did some research for this interview, is that Beth is going to be in a movie, a Gus Van Zandt movie called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Oh, wow. And it's just uh, gotten some good reviews at Sundance. She plays a, a very kind of country backwoods woman called Reba. Uh, she said in in the interview that she was up against uh, the one of the leads in Game of Thrones, this really tall blonde on Game of Thrones whose name escapes me, but that she was pretty confident that she wouldn't get it. And when they told her about the character, she just thought, well, I'm going to just, you know, this sounds like my Aunt Linda Gale. I'm going to go in and just imitate my Aunt Linda Gale. And she got the part. So I'm really excited to see her in that film. That'll be incredible. All right. 
enough delay. We got to get into spring arts. Do, do you want to start with theater uh, and talk about sort of? We got some great theater that's coming up. We got Lion King, Hand to God. I'm not going to say this one, next one because it confuses me. Intro to Woods with Parcelia at Wild. So, Wood. <laughs> uh, Into the Woods. It's a Stephen Sondheim musical that uh, I didn't. I'll say I didn't get for mm-hmm. a long, long time um, until I saw a really good production of it. And uh, this particular one is going to be put on at Wildwood Park for the Arts by an ensemble called Preclara. They're a professional vocal ensemble, but they also, all of them happen to be really talented actors and actresses. So they've taken it upon themselves to do the Stephen Sondheim musical. One of the most difficult scores, if you know anybody who's been in this show, you've probably seen their nose buried in this score in any spare time they had. It's it's incredibly difficult, as are many of Sondheim's scores. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be April 13th through 14th. Um, and yes, absolutely, Hand to God is a super irreverent, uh, foul-mouthed puppet comedy at the Studio Theater, March 8th through 18th. It's uh, one of the, I, I think the writer... Um, who's involved in Hand to God was one of the creators of Avenue Q. So chances are, if you dug Avenue Q, you'll dig Hand to God. They found a little niche for themselves with irreverent puppets. Definitely. It turns (laughs) out people really love puppets who curse. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it goes over really well. And then, you know, the big sort of big budget uh, news around here is The Lion King, the award-winning, elaborate, uh, in terms of its costumes and just a spectacle uh, production. The touring production is going to land here at the Robinson Center. It's going to be April 19th through May 6th. And uh, get there. I, I... seems like they have a long enough run where they won't sell out but i really think if anything's gonna sell out it'll be this just because of its uh its appeal people who love the film are gonna go see it people who have seen the musical are gonna go see it and people who have caught even a single still shot of uh these costumes that are um, that very much borrow from from these different regions um of africa they're just incredibly elaborate, um, pretty expensive productions. So uh, I, I'm sure they're hoping that they'll sell out. It's part of a traveling company. I, I don't exactly know how theater, like, do they come down from Broadway and then make it throughout the country? Is that sort of how it works? Well, so it's typical for uh, Broadway shows after they have their run on Broadway or sometimes in between or after or before as revivals to have a touring production of that yeah. same show. And uh, typically in central Arkansas, what that means is that, that it comes through a company called Celebrity Attractions, who sort of is the middleman for bringing Broadway productions here. Um, and they've brought them to Robinson before the renovation. And then uh, now that Robinson's renovated, they're, they're booking those same shows. They're also doing Dirty Dancing, a stage version of Dirty Dancing oh, next seen, weekend. I've seen uh, posters for that. Yeah, yeah. I love Dirty Dancing. I have a great affection for it as a... It's a stage production of Dirty Dancing? Stage production of Dirty Dancing, which to me just says it's either going to be like you're going to leave the theater raving or you're going to leave the theater like, oh my God, no. <laughs> Let's just watch the movie. So toss up for me. Um, but I, I have to believe if they're touring around the United States that they're going to be uh, pretty like a crowd pleaser, at least for Dirty Dancing fans. That's so interesting. Well, isn't there a new Lion King movie, by the way, right, coming out? Yeah, quote unquote live action. 
let's talk about that quote unquote because I really don't get this. Yeah, what is quote unquote live action? Is it because everything is so Disney has been remaking their classic animated films as live action, but the thing that you get into, yeah, well, so well, like Beauty and the Beast, oh uh, god, Cinderella, maybe. Um, But you know, the thing that you get into is that most of the actors are digital creations, which is animation. So they call it live action because it's more of a photorealistic thing, but it's still animated. And for example, mm. like with the Jungle Book, you know, the only human characters. Oh, I, for- mm-hmm. oh, I forgot the Jungle Book happened. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Totally stoked about yeah. Donald Glover and Beyonce, but I do have a hard time not seeing it as an attempt to grasp at the popularity of something that's already gone over really well. Yeah, yeah. it's a cash grab. But it's, I mean, it's Disney and that's... That's what they do. Yeah. We're making 12 billion <laughs> Star Wars movies. Um, on a side note, have y'all read the New Yorker Donald Glover profile? Not yet. What is, your, what is the rumbling you've heard about it, though, if, if you haven't read it? Have you heard a specific rumbling? I read an excerpt where I think they were talking to Lena Dunham, Lena Dunham, oh yeah, about his his short stint on the on the movie or the show Girls, uh-huh. and she said something to Donald Glover to the effect of like I hope I didn't tokenize you, and he said let's not dwell on the past. <laughs> <laughs> that does happen in the pro. So I've read it. I would love to discuss it further. I've had discussions with a group, uh, one friend uh, for a long time, and he was like, everyone I'm talking to doesn't hate Donald Glover after mm-hmm. reading his profile. Then I had a discussion with another friend, and I had just been beaten down to believe that I was an idiot because I read this, and uh, in my belief, Donald Glover comes off like an oaf, like a real, like a real Kanye, to put it. <laughs> Don't say that. To put it another way, um, that's harsh. He calls himself Jesus in the profile. Mm. He compares himself to Jesus. It's tough to come back from, as we learned from John Lennon. Yeah, exactly. So, I, John Lennon's a very similar figure in some way. Anyways. I look forward to us all reading the the Donald Glover profile and watching the live action. Should we put that on, on the um, outline for next week? Yeah, we'll everyone get ready yeah. for the Donald we'll Glover profile. Study up. Study up. All right. Technically, that was a segue, but also, or technically, that was a like you know side plot there, but it was also kind of a segue because next up we're going to talk about music for the spring, which Donald Glover is definitely not coming <laughs> to Little Rock, but we've got some good stuff. We already talked about Beth Ditto. She's um, she gave a heck of a performance, but what else do we have that people should look forward to, Stephanie? So this is kind of wild, but anybody in Little Rock who knows the name Sweet Sweet Connie probably knows a little bit or has heard Grand Funk Railroad, or maybe that went the other way around. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> At any rate. Uh, sweet Sweet Connie. Hot Springs in their, what I think is typically brilliant marketing, uh, is holding the first ever 13th annual, I think, world's shortest St. Patrick's Day parade. And, you know, I love this about Hot Springs. I feel like it's a city that really has a sense of itself and a sense of humor about itself. And this event could not demonstrate that more clearly. (laughs) So on March 16th, uh, the night before St. Patrick's Day, uh, Grand Funk Railroad is going to give a free concert in downtown Hot Springs. As you know, anybody who's been to Hot Springs during racing season knows the people watching is pretty primo anyway. And then you add Grand Funk Railroad and a huge uh, live racing stakes at Oaklawn. There's an international women's film festival happening in Hot Hot Springs next week, evidently. Um, And it's also St. Patrick's Day. So you put all that together and 
Uh, they're going to throw a big bash downtown with Grand Funk Railroad. Uh, Adam Fawcett's opening for them, and Akeem Kemp, I believe. Uh, he may be on Saturday, actually. And then Saturday, March 17th, uh, they are having the the world's shortest St. Patrick's Day parade. And then right after that, Morris Day and the Time will kick off. Oh it's going to be a fun weekend to be in Hot Springs if you have any reason to be out that way. On top of all that... You've got Valley of the Vapors happening in downtown Hot Springs venues at the same time. Um, That's the weekend. It's the same weekend. Wow. I, I had a blast uh, it, when I went um, last year. Saw Downtown Boys and Vody and uh, Big Piff. And so they're, they're really great at curating this festival. It pretty much spreads across four days and across multiple venues in downtown Hot Springs. There are secret shows. There are shows in unusual venues in sp- different spots in town. There are shows where the location is like to be announced and then you just find out that day and go. It's, it's really exciting what they're doing. And they, they bring in some really cool local acts and some people that play here quite often like Dylan Earls playing Bird Cloud, uh, Landrest, a Hot Springs band. And then I would say if I had to pick one to not miss, go see Larkin Poe. It's this uh, two sisters from Atlanta who sort of do this kind of uh, sunhouse uh, slide uh, guitar sound. Um, really magnificent harmonies together super polished i think it's gonna be a great show larkin poe they're actually descendants of edgar Allan poe which really? is where their name comes from and yeah. they play it up a little bit uh i mean it's in the name so yeah. i guess so yeah. wow that's incredible so that's all one weekend all in one weekend <laughs> yeah Jeez. uh I, I saw down wanda jackson's coming Wanda Jackson will be here. Let's have a party, Wanda Jackson, I believe, right? Wanda Jackson, and she's going to be part of uh, the Literary Festival, so I believe she's going to be doing a concert and then also a lecture. Um, So keep an eye out for the Arkansas Literary Festival. There will be a lot of coverage in the Arkansas Times, of course, about that. Lots of great authors coming. Um, Iris Dement is going to come, and she's coming on the same weekend as Oxford American is uh, conducting their uh, anniversary of the publication of True Grits. It'll be a big celebration with tons of out-of-towners coming With in tons of Portisheads. Yeah. yeah. And uh, a side note, not music, but Eddie Pepitone will be performing the great, great stand-up, the uh, Buddha of Bitter, Bitter okay. Buddha. He's a great stand-up. You should check that out. It's also part of the True Grit um, stuff that weekend. Uh, so, okay, we got B... B. Beeman. B. Beeman. Yeah. And March 15th at South on Maine. Wow. This guy has... It's all one weekend, though. <laughs> it's a kind of a problem for us. It's all next weekend. If you cannot find something to do next weekend, I cannot help you. Yeah. Okay. Great show at South on Maine. Uh, B. Beeman. Check out his video for moving to Brussels with Keegan-Michael Key. Um, really, really uh, fun stuff. Um a little bit further down the line, May 4th and 6th, the professional opera company here in Little Rock called Opera in the Rock is doing two shows, two performances of a um, underperformed, shall we say, operetta um, or opera uh, called Trouble Island by William Grant Still, who um, was born in Mississippi but spent most of his life in Little Rock and went on to be uh, sort of considered the dean of African-American composers. And he's written a an opera about um, the rebellion, political rebellion in Haiti in 1791. That's reason enough to be interested in the opera. But if I had to sway anybody, I would just say, having personally heard 
and worked with some of the singers that are singing in this these this opera you could not ask for a better cast these people um, they're going to be well read they're going to be well prepared um, they are some of the best vocalists in the area i i just don't see any any way um it, it could not be really great so i'm really looking forward to troubled island that's may 4th and 6th wow. there's also up in northwest arkansas a few things going on uh, mastodon a uh, sort of like heavy uh, rock metal band is doing a show with primus oh. at the rogers amp and then one of my favorites jay roddy walston in the business is doing a show uh in uh, Northwest Arkansas, April 23rd at, at George's Majestic Lounge. So that's just to name a few of the musical things going on. The full rundown, if you can find a copy, the, the, new, the new Arkansas Times hit newsstands today, but if you can find a copy of last week's, it's got Beth Ditto on the front and a giant white horse. Yes. If you look very closely at her sleeve, you'll find a subliminal message. She's got a little tag on her jacket that says, Fur Free Fur. That's just a little Easter egg for our Ooh, listeners. Yeah. That's exclusive for the listeners of the pod. That's why yeah. we're dropping Easter eggs in the podcast now. Yeah. That's what it's all about. So check it out. That's the full music rundown. Um, Film-wise, again, I, I was so thrilled to discover and can't wait to find out more about this uh, Hot Springs Women's Film Festival yeah. next weekend. It's going to be so Saturday cool. and Sunday. Uh, so that'll be the 17th and the 18th. Um, the Ozark Foothills Film, film Festival... Uh, really seasoned um, you guys probably speak a little bit about Ozark Foothills that's happening April 19th through 21st and then the following weekend the 27th through the 28th most immediately Arkansas Cinema Society on March 16th is doing a double feature they're pairing a short by Mark Thiedemann called Alex in the Morning with a Gus Van Zandt full length called Paranoid Park so check that out look it up march 16th and then we're also looking forward to the kaleidoscope film festival which is all films about or created by lgbt filmmakers and that's august 10th through the 18th yeah kaleidoscope was one of my favorite things i did last year when i was in little rock it was fabulous so all right there's tons of great film stuff great music stuff great theater stuff last up let's just really quickly hit visual arts i think you've likely been peppered with the main thing uh, that's going on, but it's worth mentioning again. Soul of a Nation up at Crystal Bridges. It sounds incredible. Just sort of a loose. I mean, you can't really delve into everything that's going on there, but sort of a loose idea of what why people should go check out Crystal Bridges. So Crystal Bridges is getting a little bit of a reputation as quote the most woke museum in the U.S. Wow. Whether or not it is, I have to leave <laughs> up to you. But I definitely think Soul of a Nation is an arg is an is a is is a point in that argument. Um, I was reading Leslie Newell Peacock's piece about Soul of a Nation this week. Uh, it was the Washington Post, by the way, that said uh, Crystal Bridges is the most, most woke. woke museum in the nation. Uh, so she says, it's a good bet that art lovers familiar with the periods in which these artists worked are more familiar with their white contemporaries, Andy Warhol, Jasper Johns, Mark Rothko. Soul of a Nation corrects that omission by starting with the black artist collectives that formed in the tumultuous 1960s, the Spiral Group in New York, the Organization of Black American Culture, and Afrocobra in Chicago, and going on to cover two decades of works created during the civil rights struggles, both figurative and abstract. 
I believe the Arkansas Times is also taking a bus of folks up there. Garbo Hearn. Um, I've heard about this on yeah. the radio. Yes. <laughs> Hearn Fine Art Gallery is going to um, shepherd that trip, and people are going to go up and check out Soul of a Nation. Yeah, so you should go on the bus trip or just go up there yourself and check out Soul of a Nation. All right, I think we did it. I think we successfully previewed Spring Arts. Big ups to you, Stephanie, for putting it all together. This is an incredible preview, and people should go get this copy of the Arkansas Times. Beth did it on the cover with the Easter egg. Read all your great writing, and but keep it around for the rest of the spring so that they can go to all the shows, and then I'm sure... And after you read it, it makes really great mulch. Yeah, great mulch and or a guide. Well, you can put it next to your guide for when to plant things that we talked about like a week or two ago, yeah, right? put it with that. Put it with that. It, eventually, it'll become mulch, but then it can sort of be a calendar for you throughout the spring. As will we all. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we'll all become... All right, on that note that we're all going to become mulch, let's take a break, and then we're going to come back and do recommendations and maybe talk about the Oscars or something. Welcome back. All right. Recommendations-wise, I'm going to recommend that we talk about the Oscars, so that's our first recommendation. I was disappointed. <laughs> you were disappointed? It, I was disappointed in it almost. Um, all right, so we probably don't have time to go category by category. No. Uh, not at all. Let's just talk Best Picture. Let's just talk about that. Shape of Water is is fine. It's fine. But I think, you know, when I'm thinking about it, I would have liked. I would have been okay with Get Out, Lady Bird, um, Phantom Thread. Mm-hmm. Mm, I would have been fine with any of those three. I think winning. I think there are a lot of people like me, and it probably split the vote, and that's why Shape of Water yeah. won. If you listen to the Oscar preview, you would know that the Shape of Water did not move me. But I'm happy for Guillermo del Toro. I think he probably should have won for something like Pan's Labyrinth. Um, mm. Yeah. But there's this piece in the Atlantic that says that that was talking about how the Shape of Water's win is like a sign that the Overton window of what is an acceptable Oscar movie has shifted. Yeah, because it wasn't that long ago that like in order to be considered an Oscar caliber film or worthy of Best Picture, there were there were a bunch of biopics, there were a bunch of the post. Um, like historical drama like The Post or uh, Theory of Everything was one yeah. beautiful mind, and so now that you have this sci-fi fantasy genre film winning Best Picture. It's just like this sign that things are changing, and that the inter- the idea of what is a, a best picture nominee or winner is much broader than it used to be or was a few years ago. And it's sort of opening up the question, which is, how good was Black Panther? I mean, it. If we're okay, if Get Out, a horror film, uh-huh. gets nominated, and is good odds to potentially win, what does it mean for? someone working within the Marvel studio system like uh, Ryan Coogler did with Black Panther could that win or even be nominated for Best Picture it was unthinkable almost for a long time it was unthinkable a year ago that Black Mm -hmm. Panther even had a chance now it is it's not likely but it's possible that yeah well and you know this past year we also had a a comic book movie Logan was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay yeah that's a great point to point out because I actually hadn't thought about Logan as sort of paving the way potentially for this but do you think that that could happen this year that Black Panther could get nominated for Best Picture actually I think there are a lot there are a lot of films that haven't come out yet so but we'll we'll see what else is out there but I mean potentially I'm not convinced that it should win yeah uh, pen, again pending the hundreds of movies that have yet to be released but 
Yeah, it, it could be one of those movies that gets nominated just because you know you can nominate up to like ten films now. And yeah, you, you can fill those slots. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of chatter about this basic idea, which is that sure, The Shape of Water was not our favorite, mm-hmm. a lot of people's favorite movie of the year, but it's a big deal that it won and the Post didn't and Three Billboards didn't and um, you know what Dunkirk didn't, right? Um, and that Dunkirk and the Post didn't even get a lot of chatter. Mm-hmm. Now. I, I revisited Three Billboards. I truly don't like Three Billboards. <laughs> I just like did not enjoy it, and I, I don't think I really got it. Um, and I was or and I'm kind of curious if Three Billboards had won, would we be having the same sort of resigned conversation of oh, I guess Three Billboards won. It's not that great. Or do you think that it was, you know, I'm just curious what you would think would happen if we if Three Billboards had won. I suspect Three Billboards would have been like crash. Where Which everyone's is, just like, this actually was trash five years later? Yeah, it's this movie that wins and then just people just forget about it. Yeah. Over time. That makes sense. Um, but I'm curious about Frances McDormand's speech and her mention of uh, the inclusion waiver. Yes. Inclusion writer. Uh, yeah, inclusion yeah. writer. Um, that I think is an interesting development. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I'll admit to not having seen many of these films mm-hmm. over the last year, uh, but I think it feels very much to me like people were talking less about Three Billboards as a movie and more about Frances McDormand's mm-hmm. speech and how she used that platform to say, like, look, established white women, do your thing. Like, we're in a position to ask for these things, and the time to ask is when somebody has a contract in front of you. So let's do it. Yeah, I saw that Michael B. Jordan is like, yeah, I'll be including an inclusion riser from now on so I think it's it is a interesting um, I think it is very profound to see not only a sort of broad discussion of things changing but a hey what policies will actively change the system that we'd like to see changes that that feels significant especially in an award speech it's just not what you were expecting what was interesting to me about the ceremony is that in the past the the discussions of any ways in which um, Hollywood has has had blinders on or has has been um, exclusionary. It's all been very coded and veiled and it was really all out there in this ceremony. It was it was very much like the elephant in the room you know was was met head on and that kind of felt good to yeah. to viewers who felt like you know we've been talking around racism. We've been talking around sexism in Hollywood for so many years and and hinting at it even though, um, sometimes the f- the films that people were making were were not hinting at it. They were meeting it head on, and yet when it t- came time to the award ceremony, we had all of a sudden this sense of decorum where mm-hmm. um, you didn't talk about real shit on yeah. the stage. Well, I think specifically, not to I'm sorry, I'm bashing on the post so much, but to go back to the post and to movies like the post, a lot of times those met significant issues without talking about them in ways that felt meaningful. They they talked about them with a literally a Hollywood ending of happily ever after and you know what really fixes everything if everyone got along and worked really hard for and, I, and we talked about this before the post just has these bland passe values of like good versus bad and it projected them out in the world and what seems significant to me about something like Inclusion Rider and the movies that we're seeing now as part of the conversation of Best Picture is that they confront an idea that um, it's not about being a good person and that if everyone were a good person, bad things wouldn't happen anymore. It's about, okay, how do we create a system that actively encourages and changes behavior? And that is, what seems stark to me about that is Hollywood's version 
of good and bad is based off good people doing good things and bad people doing bad things. Good, evil, dark, light, whatever that means. Um, whereas more and more that you read about how um, so many of these awful things happen in our world is that a system creates them and that behavior is created within that system. And it's not so simple as good people do good things and bad people do bad things. And so to actively have that as part of a conversation in Hollywood seems extremely radical because it's so anti-Hollywood to talk about an inclusion rider mm -hmm. instead of talking about, well, if only we got along between oh. races, sexes, etc. So that seemed to me, it seems that's why I think it seems significant to have that as part of the conversation now. And I'm wondering going forward, as we start asking these questions, you know, the Oscars were really down this year ratings-wise. To what extent, as things move forward, can Hollywood be the place that's having that conversation about these things that people want their art to speak yeah. to? I mean, that's an open question for me. I don't know what y'all think. Is Hollywood capable of having the conversation that people want to have in their art? I think the, that conversation is certainly capable of being had in film. I don't know to what extent... Hollywood will formally open the door. You know, if you look at a lot of the films that Hollywood is actually financing, they're like big budget superhero action tent poles um, because that's sort of like where you get your biggest return on investment. But there are a lot of smaller independent film production companies, like the people who funded Get Out or the people who funded The Shape of Water. And that's where I think they can have, the, they can make the kind of films that like have that conversation. Um, having said that, I just, in a real roundabout way, just the idea that of like using specific policy and and legal uh, methods to enact change, I think is sort of about what uh, what Captain America Civil War is sort of <laughs> <laughs> the most Marvel answer, like the most Marvel fan answer. It's like actually, uh, Marvel films are addressing some of the structural well, I inequality. Do, you know what? I do think, <laughs> I, well, it's not that. It's more like you know. That film, I really like that in film. It's just as someone who like grew up reading comic books and likes the idea of these action figures running into each other. Mm -hmm. But I think it would have been a stronger film if there had been more of a focus on the central idea of uh, governance in terms of not just you guys get to go and punch people because you're the good guys, but mm -hmm. just sort of like what gives you this authority and under what regulatory structure do you operate and who are you responsible to and like asking those questions and mm -hmm. really hashing it out. It would have been really interesting. Stephanie, was there one part of the night other than McDormand's speech that stood out to you or, did, or anything uh, sort of walking away where you were surprised by the night at all? <laughs> this is not political or really even consequential at all, but I thought it was really strange how often and vigorously everybody remarked on the set. <laughs> like, did you not feel like this? At every turn, somebody was like, and look at this beautiful set. Yeah. I, what, what's going on there? Yeah. Like, I don't remember that happening in other years, and I don't know if that's just, like, sort of the fatigue of the same actors showing up there year after year. I'm like, damn, it looks good this year. <laughs> By the way, what is our general thought on Jimmy Kimmel, the host? How do we feel about Jimmy Kimmel hosting the Oscar? Because it feels like it's perennial at this point. Like, he just does it constantly. So I'm curious, how are we enjoying Jimmy Kimmel hosting the Oscars? Well, um, I mean, I was... I was definitely on on board with like you know the idea of um, let's get these two hilarious black women that provided arguably the com comedic highlight of the entire ceremony in yeah. here next year, which is something people have maybe not so jokingly called for after the yeah. Oscars. Um, and that was Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph, right? Tiffany mm -hmm. Haddish and Maya Rudolph. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, I think 
I think somebody um, somebody like Tiffany Haddish is able to connect with an audience a little bit in a way that um, Jimmy Kimmel is, yeah, he, he's guilty of having that static thing. You know, yeah. Tiffany Haddish is a person who can make one face at the audience and really commit mm-hmm. to making that face and get a 30 second laugh out of it. Yeah. And it's real. It's genuine. She's hilarious. Um, I would love to see some diversity in the the ringleader aspect as well as the um, the films themselves. Yeah, maybe be productive really quick before it wraps us up to do a quick uh, movie star update in terms of like, okay, uh, Timothy Chalamet. How are we feeling about Timothy Chalamet 2018 going forward? I think, does he continue to blow up? Is it a down year? What happens to Timothy? Is he doing anything? Does he have anything in the pipeline this year? I don't know. I'm, that's, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going around the stars. Timothy Chalamet, Army Hammer, Tiffany Haddish, you know, I feel like there are a few people who really stood out this year as mm-hmm. potentially. I'm. Side note: I'm not saying Arby Hammer stood out this year. I'm saying he was on the star mm-hmm. list though going forward. Uh, Tiffany Haddish, uh, you know, are, was it disappointing that Meryl Streep was in the post? Any thoughts on the stars, the actors? I guess is what I'm trying to say coming out of the Oscars and what you're looking forward to in the next few years from kind of our principal players here. Um, more from Sherry's Rodan. I, I butchered her name. Yeah, it does. Uh, we're not going to get it right. Yeah, but uh, is it Sersha? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Move. Always keep moving. <laughs> still, still looking forward to more from her. And yeah, Tiffany Haddish. I wonder if it's more of a 2019 thing, just because it takes time after your star blows up to like get roles and like do movies and then have them actually come out. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what they have in the pipeline for this year. Well, I was looking at, like, 2019 releases, and it's so many of them are people who won Oscars in, like, 2017. Mm -hmm. The new Barry Jenkins movie is coming out in 2019, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that'll sort of... um, Just side note, also on Maya Rudolph, it's so funny. It's it's impossible after seeing Phantom Thread to not think of Maya Rudolph as uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's wife, who inspired the complex... (laughs) discussion of love that is yeah. Phantom Thread and so when she looked absolutely stunning and hilarious on the stage there's also like just in the back of my mind I'm always aware this was the inspiration yeah. their their relationship was the was partially yeah. the inspiration for Phantom Thread and I can't they should have given her an Oscar for Phantom Thread yeah they should give her an Oscar for Phantom Thread I agree as well alright um, let's slide to recommendations I'm going to start off with a recommendation um, about Tiffany Haddish actually uh, there's a really good Hinton Owls piece about uh, Hatch's stand-up. Um, and if you haven't seen Girls Trip, please see Girls Trip. It's so, so funny. And I, I think that so the Haddish um, renaissance is upon us, and I think we should all embrace it and have a, a great time with it. Um, the other two recommendations I'll go over quickly is uh, Young Fathers is a band that I read about in this magnificent issue that comes out every year from the New York Times Magazine um, called like 25 Songs That Ch- Shaped Our World or Changing Our Music um, and I think it's a great uh, annual issue and I check out that issue, I check out Young Fathers I check out what I'm sure most people will find is a controversial essay by John Jeremiah Sullivan about Young Fathers and then last up um, there's a thing called languagelog.ldc.upenn.edu it is a blog that linguists post on, and I find it the best place to hang out on the internet because it is like not social media. It's very, you know, pre-social media blog kind of stuff, and they're just like chatting about all this weird um, internal linguist stuff. But that's very accessible. Like they, for example, there's a post um, 
there was someone breaking down this article that was written in the uh, Chinese uh, China's largest English uh, paper, and it was breaking down this article that was talking about how China's official press wrote this really weird article about how Chinese language was like spreading throughout the world and everyone used common Chinese terms even in like America and stuff and they're like look at all these terms like no one knows what these terms mean they're breaking down all this interesting linguist stuff um, and just in general I, I would check it out it's a fascinating place so those are my recommendations Oh my, you've been gone. Please recommend us. Rain down recommendations. Um, I'm going to recommend a couple things. One, I actually haven't seen it yet, so I just assume it's good. But apparently this past, a, a night or two ago on PBS, they aired this Mr. Rogers documentary called It's You I Like. Um, and I assume that it's very good. I'm sure it's a good quality production and you should seek it out. Um, but tied to that, the, the reason I wasn't here last week is that I went to Columbia, Missouri for this True False Film Festival, which we may talk about more next week. Yeah. But one of the films that we saw was called... Um, won't you be my neighbor which is a documentary about mr rogers and mr rogers neighborhood and let me tell you uh it was moving and it was affecting i cried several times wow yeah and um it's going to get a wide really well they said wide release it's going to come to theaters later this year so if you like use google news alerts i would just set a google news alert for this film won't you be my neighbor wow that good yes multiple cries yes did you watch mr rogers growing up I think a little, but not a ton, but enough to, you know, like enough to know who he was. I, I want to ask for spoilers, because now I, I'm fascinated by Well, Mr. you know Rogers. what? It, like, it's a show that's designed for, like, two to six-year-olds, so I don't know how much of that I would remember. Yeah. Watching it. I was just thinking the same thing. I was thinking, I know I watched a lot of it, mm -hmm. but what I remember more is the imaginary world where he went, and there mm -hmm. were, like, all the puppets and yeah. the trains, but... Obviously, I watched enough of it to, like, have absorbed his messages, right? I mean, as you can see in my exemplary behavior. <laughs> but also, um, because that's not the part that I remember, and I have to assume that something about his ethos is, like, floating mm -hmm. around to all the two- to six-year-olds that grew up with it. You just learned, like, this is how you should treat people. It's inescapable. Hopefully. Yeah, it's inescapable yeah. the idea that that's when you're soaking up knowledge without even remembering it, and he must be swimming around our subconscious. Like, God, I hope so. Yeah. It's weird to think about that writ large, how many children's programs are basically swimming around, like, how many people just have, like, a little... Mm -hmm. Mr. Rogers, like, constantly in the back of their brain as, like, some sort of weird thing. All right, enough of that. Your recommendations, Stephanie. I'm going to recommend uh, that you go check out a track called Land of Endless Summer by a local singer-songwriter named Mark Curry. Um, Mark Curry came out with his debut album. Uh, I don't know... Um, how many years Mark Curry has been on this earth, but I know enough about him to know that he waited a very long time to make his first album, and he put a great deal of thought into it and um, really got kind of the, the, the most thoughtful musicians and sort of the most eclectic sounds he could to make this album called Tarrant County. Uh, that came out last year, but shortly after the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shootings, actually that very week, uh, he decided that instead of I'm paraphrasing here. I won't speak for Mark Curry, but my, my impression of, of this is that he decided that in lieu of like a Facebook rant or um, starting a fundraiser on social media or something like that, that he was going to head into the studio. He wrote this track called Land of Endless Summer, um, really sort of as a, um, a lament and also like sort of a hopeful plea. It's really just 
him and guitar. He went into Capitol View Studio and recorded it. He is playing at Core Public House March 10th at 7. That's over in the Argenta District, and everything that gets thrown into his guitar case is going to the, um, I'm going to mess up this pronunciation, but I believe it's Alex Schachter. This is the young man who was killed in the shootings who wrote, uh, he ended up, his father read his poem on the CNN town hall called Life is a Roller Coaster, and thereafter started a, a memorial fund for him. There's also one um, at everytown.org that you can donate to. So if you can't get out to hear Mark Curry at Core Public House, check out Land of Endless Summer on SoundCloud. And uh, Mark's got a few uh, charities there that are related to um, gun control action that you can uh, throw your money at. Wow. Great. All right. So tons of stuff to check out throughout the spring. Tons of recommendations uh, right now. Is there a specific move for the weekend that uh, you should head to? Look, it will not be International Women's Day by the time you hear this, but it is now, damn it. it. And (laughs) I, uh, as a person who grew up in an era where feminism was sort of linked with like very feathery singer songwritery stuff, Lilith Fair and like Ani DeFranco and... um, Oh, gosh, what was her name that wrote the song, the Arms of the Angels song? Sarah McLaughlin. That kind of music, not casting aspersions, but I'll say it's really been a delight to see in the last several years how many women have stepped up to the front of really, really heavy, heavy bands. And so my move is going to be that on March 13th, which is Tuesday night, you go check out this band called Royal Thunder, um, fronted by this killer singer Melanie Parsons Uh, they're from Atlanta and they're sort of heavy the heaviest of heavy blues rock that you can imagine super tight ensemble Uh, they're going to be at the Whitewater next Tuesday that's the move god you got to do that happy International Women's Day happy International Women's Day thank you for listening to our jumbo packed episode and we'll see you next week